this episode, there were people watching the GP's behaviours. People from the front would come and audit, but nowhere to hide. Put out of business because of all these lawsuits that ended up sort of falling on them. Make things transparent, make things visible. I had to sort of try to work out how would I tell this story, you know, like, and what do I leave out? Now, of course, you can go overboard. Like, how do you, how do you find the line? Yeah, you get sidetracked. Yep. As I'm wont to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, never. <laughs> Welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help you build your business story repertoire. Hi, everybody. I'm Sean Callahan, And hi, everybody. I'm Mark Shank. Now, before we get going, I have a couple of housekeeping. We, Mark and I have some housekeeping things we just wanted to share with you. And the first one is just a uh, to let you know that uh, one of the programs that we've been working on for some time now is, is sort of gone prime time, and that is our Story Power Data program. And it's getting quite a lot of um, uh, interest, if you like, and, and we're doing some really nice uh, programs for folks. I guess the key thing, it's, it's addressing that issue when you've got those really, your data savvy folk, you know, your data analysts standing in front of a room, often they'll tell a, you know, give a presentation, which just is, is hard to listen to because it's just lots of full of facts, but not that much insight. And, and we have this belief that if you can make something interesting, people take on more ideas. So that's what story power data is all about is, is helping tell the stories to bring your data to life. So that's a program. Uh, you can sort of find it on our website and you know, feel free to to uh, you know, email us if you're interested in some more information on that. So, Mark, what did you have? Yeah, and so the email address is people at anecdote.com if you're interested. Um, we have been running our Story Powered Sales and Storytelling for Leaders programs uh, throughout this year, a bunch of invitation-only programs. And this is an offer for anybody who has... Uh, a group of people that they think might benefit from being more effective communicators. So being more engaging, more influential, more impactful. And we also, and for story powered sales, just helping salespeople sell more. Story is the most powerful tool that a salesperson has at their disposal. Anyway, so if you're interested in looking at these programs and deciding if they are suitable for adoption within your organization again just send us an email and we'll fix you up with a place on our on our programs for free just to evaluate the program because what we want to do is to get people to experience the program and be in a much better position to evaluate its its applicability and these are all on our website so if you go to events.anecdote.com forward slash events you'll see the list of programs or email us at people at anecdote if you're interested in having a look at those programs and that brings us, I think that's the end of the housekeeping. So, Sean, your, yes. your, your turn for a story this week. Indeed. So I heard this story on Malcolm Gladwell's uh, Revisionist History podcast. Right? Of course, he's a storyteller par excellence. Um, and But I think I, I wrote this in a blog post, is that you still have to do some work to take a podcast story to turn it into an oral story that you could tell in a um, you know, business setting. And really that work is you've got to cut it down, right? You've got to crunch it down to something you can tell. So anyway, this is my telling of a story that um, they told recently. We'll, we'll have a link uh, to that original podcast uh, in, the, in the comments. I guess for me, 
one of one of the big lessons um, that we learn over and over again is if you shine a light on something, it tends to have a cleansing effect uh, in the sense that you know a system remains sort of uncorruptible or unsullied, maybe not uncorruptible, but less corruptible, should I say? Um, and I think this is a great example of that. And it sort of starts in the US back in the 40s, actually late 30s. Uh, a guy called Paul Madden was appointed as the, um, the head of the Californian uh, Narc Narcotics Inform Enforcement uh, Group. And one of the things he's really concerned about is doctors prescribing drugs which are addictive in, in a way that uh, they can't keep track of. And, and in particular, he's worried about morphine was a big one, but you know, opioids are an, another one that he was concerned about. And he thought, okay, how can we come up with a, almost like a bureaucratic solution to this? He was a real believer you know, as a progressive that government could fix these things. And so the system they came up with in California and they created a, a sort of an extension to the um, Narcotics Act uh, to put this in place was essentially to have triplicates for prescriptions. So in Australia, this is this is very um, common for us, or very well known to us. If you go to your GP, they'll have a pad, a prescription pad, and you know they'll write out prescription and there's three copies. One stays with the GP, one goes to the pharmacist, or two goes to the pharmacist, and the pharmacist sends one of them off to the government department that keeps track of all the prescriptions. It's all big digitized these days, but you know, same concept uh, is, is, is in place. And what this uh, tended to do, and this is his, his thinking, was that there was always a sense that there were people watching the GP's behaviours, right? So if they prescribed you know, a particular drug, not only the pharmacist was watching it, but the government department was watching it and the GP had to keep a copy of that uh, document so that the department could, people from the department could come and audit, you know, their prescriptions. So there was this real feeling, you know, every time they went into their storeroom, there were all these prescriptions sitting there reminding them that there was this, these people sort of watching. So nowhere to hide. Nowhere to hide, right? So it worked very well. And, but, you know, in the US, not every state adopted this. In fact, far from it. Only five states adopted the triplicate prescription system. Right? It's a bureaucratic system. It requires a bit of setup. Right? Fast forward now to the 90s. And uh, a lot of you will know that in the US particularly, they have what they call the, the sort of uh, opiate crisis. Essentially, the addiction of opiates really pushed on by a pharmaceutical company called Purdue about a product called OxyContin, right? And OxyContin was a pain relief product. And uh, they did marketed that product in such an aggressive way that got everyone to believe that it wasn't an addictive product. And that you should, you know, have no problems in, 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 and it was a safe problem that you can just, you know, prescribe away. Well, a natural experiment sort of uh, got created because uh, Purdue did a review. Uh, they did a whole bunch of focus groups and uh, they realized pretty quickly that the states that used the triplicate prescription system were not great 
targets for their efforts because the sort of prescribing pattern that they were hoping for would be seen really quickly, right? And so they uh, went out of their way not to market to, you know, sort of states like uh, New York, um, Texas, or California. California that started the whole thing. Um, and, and the thing that happened, these economists that did a study of this found all the documentation because, of course, Purdue got taken to court. In fact, it ended up going, I think, Chapter 11. Um, it was put out of business because of all these lawsuits that ended up sort of falling on them. Um, ended up all this documentation and they looked through, these economists looked through all this documentation and they realised that the percentage of deaths that occurred, and there was, by the way, 800,000 deaths have been associated with overdoses from, you know, products like OxyContin. Um, the percentage of deaths was 43 or 45% fewer in those states that had the triplicate system, right? So those guys were sticking to the appropriate type of uh, prescribing, uh, whereas the other states were, were obviously highly affected by the marketing efforts by uh, Purdue's pharmaceutical. And uh, when I heard this, when, when Gladwell told this story um, in his inimitable style, um, it immediately got me thinking about just how important it is to have sort of systems in place that make things transparent, make things visible, um, show the behaviour actually happening. And if you want to reduce that malfeasance that can occur in a system, you just got to keep shining a light on it. Anyway, that's that's my little story. What do you reckon? Wow. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> just contrasting this with the uh, like this, that's, a, that's an, a, a, a huge story yes. um, and kind of such a contrast. But I mean, and which is great because it's the whole purpose of the podcast. Contrasting with last week was such a tiny story about the uh, the, the blank piece of paper in an exam. Yes, and this yeah, one's about eight hundred thousand deaths and and uh, gross misrepresentation of the you know the level of addiction caused by this product. And yeah, yeah, oh, no, man. it is quite crazy, isn't it? Um, you know, I suppose with any of these, it, it's. I must admit, I was I had to sort of try to work out how would I tell this story. You know, like, and what do I leave out? There was. So many details that um, Gladwell includes in his telling, in a podcast telling, you know, when it's beautifully crafted storytelling as they do, to, con to one that you would tell in a business meeting. And I think even the one I just told there were was too long. I yeah, know, it was, I, I actually put a clock on it. It was 5.51. Yeah, 5.51. You know, so it's, it's longer than um, you probably want to tell in a, in a business meeting, but it'd be okay to tell in a stand-up presentation right absolutely yeah yeah but i mean that's the beauty of story is that you know you could take that story and you could crunch that down to a you know a two or three minute version easy you know, it take yeah. it would take work but yeah. you know you could you could easily do it right yeah, indeed yeah definitely achievable definitely achievable yeah the um yeah i think the things i like about that story is the fact that you've got some real clear data uh, associated with it these economists have you know they produced a you know an article for what was it the the quarterly journal of economics um came out in 2021 um and and they've got you know some nice graphs and things like that so you could actually include that 
if you want it. But I don't think that's the real point of the story. I think the point of the story is simply imagine if you're designing some new system in your organization and you wanted to, and there was an opportunity for the system to be uh, poorly used or used for in an inappropriate way. The point would be, hey, how do we build something in that keeps a light on the behaviours of the people in that system? I think that's the key point. Yeah, about the importance of making making those sorts of behaviours uh, transparent. Because if it's if it's opaque, then it just creates space for unethical behaviour. That's right. Exactly. The um, the actual psychological. Um, would you call it a term for that feeling that the GPs would have of being watched is called the chilling effect. It's a well-known uh, sort of behavioral response of that feeling of someone watching your behavior. And I don't, do you remember those uh, experiments they would do in terms of uh, just um, in a kitchenette in a business, you know, in a kitchenette at work, right? Um, you can put just the a picture of someone's eyes like say, for example, it might be a donation, like for a chocolate or something, you have to put in your $2 to get a chocolate. If you put someone's eyes above the little box that you put the money in, you get a better response in terms of uh, people putting the money versus the chocolates that are there. You know, that, so, that's how- So it's called an honor system and it, it increases the, the honesty. honorable behavior. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it is. I mean, a GP is an honor system, isn't it? A GP, yeah. you know, that's really up to their discretion as to how they prescribe, right? Uh, yeah, and there's lots of lots of research uh, and I can't, I can't cite it at net, uh, you know, off, off the bat, but uh, about this effect, which is that if people have the sense that- that somebody's checking on them, yeah. that they're much more likely to behave ethically. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what was it in the story that you liked or what in the story? Let's jump into either like or could make better. Which way do you want to go? Oh, well, I, I like that it started back in the, in the, uh, in the thirties uh, with, you know, with the triplicate system. And I yep. could kind of picture the, the GP writing, writing out because I mean, it still happens. Um, I, I went and saw a specialist, uh, not a GP. I certainly saw a specialist on Friday, and I've, they were using I've the triplicate right system. Yeah, got the triplicate system right there. So, so that was uh, very uh, visual for me. You know, having mm -hmm. happened so recently, the um, the I like that you made the point that only five states adopted it. Yeah, uh, and it kind of created the opportunity for the reveal. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I like that. Um, the, I guess the the, the surprise of, of eight hundred thousand deaths from these opioids. Um, man, there's there's a lot to talk about with this story. Um, yeah. Well, I tell you, for for our listeners who haven't seen it, the there's a a TV series called Dope Sick, which really dramatically plays out what happened, you know, both from the Purdue pharmaceutical perspective, but also from the, you know, essentially the, the patients and the victims uh, and just how indiscriminate this was. It really impacted every parts of society that got, um, you know, that were obviously being prescribed these drugs. So very interesting. 
And that's Michael Keaton, is it? That... Mining, Michael Keaton was the the star in that show. God, he was just right. amazing. Yeah, yeah, as he is in just yeah. about everything he does. Awesome actor. Yep. Um, All right. So, um, wow. Where, where are we, we going to use it? We're going to talk about, yeah, oh, business right. applications. Okay. Right. Well, I, I mean, the one I already, I, I've already thrown out one, haven't I? Yeah. Any others yeah. that you can think of? Um, I mean, for I'm me, working on it. <laughs> if, it. It seems to me that it's it's one of those great inputs into a design conversation, like when you're trying to create a new system in your organization or a new product, or and just getting people thinking, okay, how simple that system is, that triplicate simple, uh, you know, prescription system, and what large term effect impacts it has. Uh, I think that that is a big part of it. Yeah, and and like I guess an extension of that is uh, we need to design. We need to do do the, do it the right way, not the easy way. Right, right, yes. Because I mean, the, that it, the triplicate system is a little bit bureaucratic, right? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I mean, and if so you're going have... to adopt it, if if you, you're a state that's going to adopt it, you have to yeah, you have to have staff to. Uh, uh, register the receipt of these things. You, you need somebody to, to to do the data entry. I mean, of, of hopefully it's all automated these days. But uh, then you need people to crunch the numbers, you know, oh. produce reports, yeah, and then do something about it, right? Whereas yeah. if you do none of that, it's invisible, right? It's invisible. You're just going, oh no, no, we trust the GPs, yeah. And there's times where that's appropriate, but there's times where controls are needed. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like the fact that it's it's a it's a semi-coercive control, right? Mm. You're not actually telling the GPs what to do, right? You're not saying thou shall only prescribe X number of doses of X, right? We're not doing that. We're just sort of saying, you know what to do, and we're watching you. Yeah. Right? I think it's a, it's a very um, clever way of doing it. And um, in the right situation? Yeah. Yeah makes total sense now of course you can go overboard like how do you how do you find the line yes um but you know you know where you put levels of controls in like that versus when you when you don't because they they all those controls have implications not least of which is is resources yes that's right exactly and then you have to do a balancing act between you know eight hundred thousand deaths and Etc. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, but those eight hundred thousand deaths were invisible. Well, they they hadn't even occurred yet. At no, a, when at he first put it together. When yeah, the, exactly. Yeah. But you know, you've got forty-five yeah, so, states now that could be doing it in the US, right? And it's like there's a clear case here. I mean, um, it'd be, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens, if anything. You know. Mm. You know, the funny thing so, was one another element of the. Uh, Gladwell version of all this is that when Gladwell was in his 20s, he was a, um, a reporter for the Washington Post and he was on the science desk. And there was a, a fellow who was really pushing hard that, um, this is in the early 90s, pushing hard that the triplicate system should be taken up across America. He wanted a national system. And Gladwell didn't even look into it, right? Like he... He was sent all this information by this guy, um, but Gladwell, he said back in those days, he was pretty much a right-wing sort of um, view of the world, and he just saw it as uh, too much oversight. And so he just dumped, he just dropped it. 
And to this oh. day, you can tell the regret that he had that maybe, you know, a Washington Post article could have had an impact or um, you know, maybe he could have written a book about it, right, which, of course, had more chance of having a, a bigger impact, but he didn't, right? So it was one of those, I think, a, a little uh, note of regret to, uh, to the world for his inaction. Yeah. yeah. Now, one of the business applications of that story is for people to go things like, well, you can't trust the drug companies, right? So right. people wanted, wanted to, uh, you know, the, the, the debate that's been ranging about vaccinations, et cetera, you know, and uh, uh, you know, COVID vaccinations. So that, that could easily be used to, uh, to make the point that, well, you know, can you trust them? Can you trust them? Yeah, because the the, the 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 desire to make money is so so strong. You know, um, they will be pushing hard for it to be sold as much as possible, sort of thing. Yeah, creates crazy. Yeah. Behaviors. Wow. What about ethical behaviour in marketing? Well, that's right. There's another one. It's not quite the angle. That the no, no, I, 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 no, I, I get that. Yeah. But you know, we're we're talking about you know the. What does this story reveal? Yeah, um, yeah, I think there's a lot in you know a lot of sidebars you could take off this story. Yeah, isn't yeah, there? yeah, yeah, and of course you could tell it in many different ways to make many different points. Um, you know, and and you could tell it to make the point that you know, don't turn a blind eye, Malcolm. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. If you knew that extra bit, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, being and just extrapolating that one even further is be aware of your biases. Right. Be, be aware of the, your worldview, your assumptions, your perspectives, because they can have a big impact. Like Malcolm Gladwell, he's right wing, but he ignored it. Right? And, and rather than do the right thing, he was blinded by his assumptions and, and, yeah. and uh, perceptions. Yeah, that's right. And that, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a nice uh, yeah, sidebar. And you know, you'd have to tell the almost like you don't tell the triplicate. Uh, prescription story you're telling the Malcolm Gladwell yeah. miss, missed the great insight because he more or less uh, stereotyped the person who had the information who was wanting him to, to take on the ideas. And I guess his point out of that is is to play the idea, not the person. Right? Mm. That was that was the lesson he drew from that. Yeah. So exactly, play the ball, not the man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now it's a, this story reveals something that's worth kind of making explicit for all our listeners and that is with big stories like this there's often many many sub stories that you can use because yes. there's so many sequences of events here you can drill into any one of them to make a useful business point yeah and so uh, always being clear in the moment what am i using this story to achieve uh, is really important because there's so many so, so many angles. It's interesting you say that because, you know, when I was thinking about telling this story, I really had to work out what the relevant statement was before I decided to tell it. And the one I picked was, hey, it's so important to shine a light on things to, you know, keep a, a system sort of unsullied by corrupt behaviour, right? And, and so that was the, and as a result of that, that kind of guided where I was going. Mm. And I, I think I finished on that point as well. So, yep. um, so that's a really good point. You've got to understand what your relevance statement is, what your point of your story is. So you just don't, with these big stories, you could go bloody anywhere, you know, Yeah, and get sidetracked. Yep. 
as I'm want to do. <laughs> no, never. I, uh, yeah. I, I often describe when, when people ask me what you're like, I, I describe you as the Gladwellian maven. Like, <laughs> I like to pick up little things. So, all, yeah. you know, like you're across so many different topics and you assimilate so many different pieces of information. Um, you know, me, much, I have a much simpler perspective on life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. What are we going to give it then? What's uh, where? Where do you put this in the um, the ranking of stories? Well, don't hate me, Sean, but <laughs> I, I'm going to give it a six because I, I I can't see myself ever using it. Right. Yep. Uh, for me, I'm going to give it an eight because I'm going to weave this into the data storytelling program because I've got some really good data now from that uh, article done by the economists uh, that sort of show the impact. And this sort of story is if you were just going to show that data about deaths, um, that would be one level of interest. But to show a little bit of how it came about, you know, through the 1930s and then what happened and the it's like a we call it a, in, in Story Power Data, we call it a discovery story, right? And so it just makes it a little bit more interesting, like makes a little bit stickier so that the 45%, you know, sort of figure is something that will stick in your mind a little bit better because you've got a bit more context. Well, it doesn't make it a little bit stickier. It makes it ridiculously stickier. And I it also so. answers the question of why. Yeah. Right. The story tells you why. Yeah. 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 You're right. Absolutely. Fantastic. Okay. Well, we better wrap things up. Thanks everyone for listening to Anecdotally Speaking this week. And of course, tune in next week for another episode of How to Put Your Stories to Work. Bye for now. Anecdotally Speaking was engineered by Dave Stokes from Author to Audio.